And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. It's Wednesday, you know what that means. Smoke, mirrors, and the truth with Bruce Anderson. And hello there, Peter Mansbridge in Stratford, Ontario. Bruce Anderson is with us from Ottawa's regular Wednesday spot here on Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth on The Bridge. And uh, not surprisingly, lots to talk about, as always. Uh, why don't we start with with Ottawa? Has the dust settled there yet? Hey, it's settling, Peter. I think uh, uh, definitely the downtown area, I think there's still checkpoints, and there probably will be for a while. But the downtown area feels safe, and, and uh, the noise is gone, and the trucks are gone, and businesses are allowed to reopen. That's That's good. I think the... There's a fair bit of uh, tension still in the air and people are watching these bail hearings for some of the leaders that were going on yesterday. And they're also pretty attentive to the idea that there are encampments. I think three of them, the mayor of Ottawa said yesterday on the outskirts of Ottawa, where some of the people who had been um, blockading or occupying downtown have set up their trucks. And, you know, one can only wonder what it is that they're, they're there waiting to do, but I think it's part of this kind of broader phenomena of people who believe somehow that they still have the ability to communicate with the governor general and ask for the dissolution of, uh, of uh, parliament and the firing of the prime minister and so on. So I, I think things are a lot better right now, but there's still uh, some tension in the air for sure. What about the politics of it all? What's a, what about on the Hill? <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I think that there's there's been a certain sensitivity within the liberal ranks, I think, to how much they want to be in a debate about um, a measure like the Emergencies Act. Really, it, it sort of feels to me that if you're constantly having a conversation about how authoritarian uh, and dramatic was your action, that's not a winning political strategy. But I don't think that is a very big risk right now. It does sound as though the... Uh, um, the effort to freeze the assets and bank accounts is going to be ratcheted back fairly quickly. The time frame for keeping these measures in place was never intended to be longer than 30 days. So that will probably pass pretty quickly, depending on what happens again with these encampments. Um, so I don't think that there's that much tension around the law, even, even though saying that I kind of have this of all of the incoming on Twitter of people saying the law is horrible and how can you say there's not that much tension around it? But I'm really just talking you know, with you about what I think is the political climate here. I think there is a, a, a real deeply unsettled feeling among people who are in and around politics about the, um, the one kind of giant lingering issue, which is what did we see happen here? How did this come to be. And that's not really just about policing and the parliamentary precinct and whether that should be closed off uh, to traffic in the future, which I think it should. But really the the thing that Andrew Coyne touched on so, uh, so well in his column today, which is the role of misinformation and disinformation and how quickly it can turn into something that really it looks like it puts democracy in peril and it's not just happening here we see it happening in other parts of the world but we had a, a pretty much a front row seat here uh 
of that we did and uh, there were a lot of people watching and they weren't just watching from here they were watching from outside of canada as it made you know kind of headlines around the world uh nowhere quite like the headlines that's been making uh in the u.s especially on the part of the uh the american right uh the conservatives uh, in america some of the headlines and I'm just pulling one up here right now in in the Daily Beast today. Matt Lewis, who's a you know a, a well-known writer for uh, the Daily Beast and uh, pretty well respected, he's got great contacts inside uh, different political parties in the U.S., uh, both the Republicans and the Democrats. The headline he's got today is "Twisted Conservatives Feel Trudeau Is More Evil Than Putin." Seriously? You know, really? Um, right now with Putin and, you know, a couple of hundred thousand Russian troops on the either ringed around Ukraine or inside Ukraine. And you know, seemingly to some, we're on the verge of a potential world war as he invades a sovereign nation. But he's less evil than Trudeau for having done the emergencies act uh, it you know it's a, it, it's quite a story watching what the republicans are going through in the u.s and listen to this you know most of this has been pushed by uh, you know fox news uh not surprisingly this was either, i think last night it was either last night or uh, or monday night on fox right that they're not allowing some of these i'll just back her up for a second uh, this is Candace Owens was on the um, was on Fox News talking about Trudeau. Listen to this short twenty seconds. Right, that they're not allowing some of these people, the main leaders, out of prison, and they're really trumped up charges that really mean absolutely nothing except you've messed with the state and now you're going to face the consequences. Something that you might see, by the way, under the reign of somebody like I don't know Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. All of these things that they keep calling us is exactly what they're guilty of. Uh, I I love the fact that she used the term trumped up charges. She managed to get Trump into that 18 seconds. Um, But this is the kind of stuff that's going out there about Canada and about Trudeau. And I know there are strong feelings. And you you indicated already um, just a few moments ago some of the discomfort within the Liberal Party over uh, being painted in a certain way over the use of the Emergencies Act. Well, this, though, really goes to the extreme. You know, more evil than Putin compares compares to Hitler. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think that there are two, uh, two issues that are linked there, but a little bit separate. So one issue for sure is this uh, mischaracterization of the Emergencies Act as, um, you know, this incredible... Uh, overreach. Now, people can debate that, and I think there's a reasonable debate to be had. But the idea of equating it with some of the things that are, you know, the uh, Dean Allison, a conservative MP, said uh, authoritarian military style measures carried out against peaceful protesters on the orders of Justin Trudeau, all being cheered on by the Ottawa and Toronto journalistic class, absolutely sickening. We've seen an editorial in the Wall Street Journal written by a Canadian conservative 
but given lots of profile, and as you said, the Candace Owens piece, the you know the Russell brand of vlogs, these all reach millions of people, and they are definitely kind of feasting on this idea that Canada has turned into a totalitarian state, and it's absolutely ridiculous even if you don't like the freezing of accounts even if you think there must have been some other measures that could have been taken without the introduction of that law what you're really arguing is well you should have done all of the things that you did you just should have been able to do them without that law so that's hardly the same as saying all of a sudden we've turned into a totalitarian state and it is a minority parliament and parliament could have voted against the law but it didn't because the new democratic party not known as a party of uh, totalitarians uh, decided to vote with the government on it so there's that which is just a reminder that the that the time that we live in is such a is so marked by people exaggerating the difference that they want to um, demonize uh, that uh, that it's, it seems like we can't have a kind of a reasonable debate about the substance of some important issues. And then the, I guess the second thing is really um, how fast and uh, how uncontrolled this information spreads and the degree to which it can become kind of accepted uh, as fact um, by people in Canada in significant numbers and by people outside of Canada. And I, you know, was reminded yesterday, you probably saw this as well, Peter, that the, that the office of the governor general had to put out a statement letting people know that all of the people who are calling her office to say they wanted to express a vote of no confidence in the government, that that isn't a thing that that actually is not something that people can do they until can, there's an election then until there's it. an election right and i saw the prime minister he looked almost pained that he had to explain um and he, i thought he did it in a in a civil way not in an elitist sounding way but i'm sure that people who hate him think that he sounded elitist and uh and like he was minimizing their point of view but really i think what he was expressing was a frustration that so many people in politics feel right now which is that you can't have a reasonable conversation with people who've adopted a completely erroneous set of facts. And again, I really encourage everybody to read Andrew Coyne's piece today because it's so precisely compelling on that point. And he calls out conservative politicians for trafficking in this. He says they know who they are. They know what they're doing. They just don't care anymore. Um, and I think that's a really important clarion call, especially from a small C conservative uh, perspective like Andrews. You know, I, I'm wondering whether they do know what they're doing. Um, not from a, you know, a, a, a spin move, but from, you know, a change of uh, ideology move. I mean, when you see what's going on in the States right now on the American right on the Republican side, and this is the party that under Ronald Reagan, you know, called the, the Soviet Union the evil empire, right? And you just know that if Ronald Reagan was alive today and was able to talk about it, he'd be calling them Russia an evil empire for what it's doing around Ukraine. There's no question about that. And so and all his party would be absolutely 
Today, it's the reverse. And something's happened there on the American right. And, you know, yeah. you can say it's good or bad. I mean, you know, Trump was speaking last night and showing his usual um, eloquence eloquence in favor of his pal Putin. Uh, and Mike Pompeo was doing the same thing, the former CIA director, secretary of state for Trump. I mean, this is like a 180 of epic proportions at a time when the world is seemingly on the edge of a major conflict and they're siding with the conventional enemy yeah yeah now, Trump, I think que- called it genius genius he sorry, called it sorry genius. go ahead Peter. yeah no I, my my question is okay that if that's what's going on on the american right is that what's going on on the canadian right what are, what are they saying have they have they said anything of, of significance on the on the Ukraine situation? I've been watching for it. And um, and so I don't want to go too far. I haven't seen anything. And it sort of it, it fascinates me that um, that that isn't more of the focus of what conservatives are talking about. Um, I noticed that the you know, it felt to me that yesterday I was still seeing things about the protests and that sort of thing from from conservatives and that they seem to feel like they've got a winning ticket. I noticed this tweet this from a couple of days ago by Michael Cooper, an MP, shutting down parliament, police checkpoints, freezing bank accounts without due process, crushing peaceful protesters with the full force of the state, separating children from their parents. Welcome to Justin Trudeau's Canada. I think they think that that is a, a rallying cry that will matter more to the people whose votes they don't want to lose to the people's party. than let's talk about Putin and parts of Ukraine. Uh, on the other side, I see uh, secretary Blinken. Uh, I listened to his news conference yesterday. I thought he was uh, thoughtful. I thought he was articulate. I thought his uh, the, the description that he made of a kind of a unified response by NATO members was the sort of thing that feels to me like the world order that we've always counted on that basically if somebody was um, encroaching upon the territory of a nato ally we all have agreed that we have an obligation to do it but if you look at the republicans and trump saying act of genius and and uh, the republican party also tweeted out a picture of Biden walking away from his podium after his remarks yesterday. I don't know if you saw this tweet, Peter, but the only words that they put over it was a portrait of America um, in weakness. And I saw that um, some Republican commentators, but typically the ones who are more alienated from the party, Uh, you know, offered the comment that this is really unusual in America, that you would have uh, an act of disunity like that in a time like this. So, you know, I feel like um, I feel like we are going through a period where we're going to figure out whether the more populist nationalist and I kind of want to say fascist and authoritarian forces of conservative are going to win over the more kind of rational fact-based institutional law and order peace and security uh, oriented conservatives right now it looks like that first group is winning um 
it doesn't, it isn't clear how they're going to do in Canada because there are fewer of them and there are more progressive voters in Canada than in the United States. But that's the fight that we're into. And when I think about the conservative leadership race, that's the fight that I think needs to be had too. Well, I, I can just say from you know, my, my experience of living in, in both central Canada and western Canada that uh, if conservatives think that nobody cares about the Ukraine situation, they better take a stronger look at their voter base uh, because especially in the west, there's a, a considerable number who uh, can point to their Ukrainian uh, heritage. You know, I think of my old friend, good friend, close friend, I gave the eulogy at his funeral, Raina Titian, the former governor general of Ukrainian descent. He would be, right now, he would be apoplectic about what's happening in Ukraine and equally apoplectic if he felt that his party, the conservative party, was it ab- was abandoning that situation, was abandoning it in the sense that they don't, don't think it's important enough to be talking about and they're watching carefully to see how it plays out in the states between the uh, Republicans and the Democrats. Anyway, as you, as you said, the focus has all been on truckers. And so if they're saying much at all about Ukraine, it's not getting a lot of play. They put out one tweet uh, about it in the last um, five days that the Conservative Party did. And it basically was the Trudeau government must act now and not repeat the same mistake they made in Afghanistan. And that's about um, getting people out. Yeah, that's about getting people out. That's literally the only one that I'm seeing in in the last four days. Um, Put out by the party as such. Put out by the party. That's right. So and there are many about the. you know, the emergencies act and the power grab and government overreach and also, you know, mix in there some stuff on inflation, but mostly about the the power grab and the overreach and the fact that the uh, protesters have gone home and that sort of thing. And we saw, you know, I want to be careful. I don't want you to get sued here, but we did see conservative MPs talking about people in their constituencies who they said had had their bank accounts frozen um, you know, for making very small donations or buying a twenty dollar uh, T-shirt, and I thought it was interesting that the authorities didn't seem like want to really elevate the debate, but did want to push some information out, saying it was extremely unlikely that that had happened. And um, again, I think it's part of this phenomena of if MPs are willing to put these things out and I worked for an MP and you've known a lot of MPs and the normal setting would be, are you going to go public with something like that? Or are you going to make sure that it's true before you do? And I, I worry that we're in a new zone where people just kind of go, oh, I can say this and it can travel the universe that I care about very quickly. It's not going to be fact checked by journalists because I'm not saying it to journalists. I'm saying it to the interwebs and uh and it'll have the effect that i want it to have and i'll never have to apologize for it i'll never have to correct the record i'll never be held to account for uh, the fact that it might not be true then take a quick break uh, i want to come back there's two things i want to talk about one is the media and the other is you mentioned the conservative leadership race we'll do a little tease on that we'll set us up for friday's good talk when Chantel joins us uh, but first this quick pause 
This is Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth on the Bridge. Bruce Anderson is in Ottawa. I'm Peter Mansbridge in Stratford, Ontario. And you're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks, or on your favorite podcast platform. And as we always say, we're happy you're with us no matter how you're listening to us. Um, all right, two things on the media. One is kind of dovetails to what we were talking about earlier, all this attention Canada's suddenly been getting. Uh, Vinay Menon from the Toronto Star read a great piece the other day. I'll just read you the first couple of lines because it puts this sort of focus on Canada in some uh, context. Here's what he says. One of the great things about Canada was that Americans never paid any attention to us. Canada stood quietly in the corner, sipping a Molson and nibbling poutine. As America dominated the cocktail party with narcissistic chest-thumping and navel-gazing. America was the prom queen. Canada was the nerd who helped with homework. America cared only about America, and Canada politely trudged forth in the shadow of a friendly and self-centered superpower. It was beautiful. Now these protesting truckers in Ottawa have screwed up the dynamic. America suddenly fixated on Canada, and what America sees is more America. Fox News, the most watched cable news network, went live in 1996. Between then and about three weeks ago, I'm pretty sure the word Canada was mentioned maybe 14 times on air. Well, you heard a little earlier how often it's getting mentioned and in what context today. Now, listen to this. This is media-related, uh, but it's in Canada. And, and John Doyle, Globe and Mail's, entertainment, television columnist. He's in there in the last 24 hours online at the Globe. Let's read you two lines from it. And this is, this is, this is you know, Vinay Menon's piece was great in terms of its um, partial humor, but it made you think. This is much, this, this goes right to the heart of the problem. Our first temptation might be to write off this appalling activity as a pathetic imitation of Trump supporters. And it surely is pathetic. Here's what he's talking about. The obnoxious act of screaming fake news and liar at a television reporter is about as dismally dumb as you can be. You could say it is learned behavior from watching too much TV coverage of American politics in the same way that school bullies are believed to have learned from TV or video games that using violence and verbal abuse are the hallmarks of strength. It's also tempting to dismiss the bullying as an offshoot of misinformation. The protesters get their news and form opinions based on gibberish spewed on social media. Therefore, they attack legitimate news when they see the mainstream media in the flesh talking to a camera on the street. That's an easy excuse to reach for, since most of us never really encounter the full blast of misinformation. I know you feel strongly about, uh, about this issue, as all of us who are in the business of journalism obviously feel strongly about it, but some of the scenes we saw on the weekend, the yelling and screaming and the abuse of uh, journalists, including spitting on them, um, is, it, you know... 
John says a little too easy to you know point to social media, but the non-traditional media and the impact it's having over the traditional media uh, is something that should concern us. Yes. The distinction I'm making increasingly, I'm trying to kind of use the idea of fact-based media versus the other media that we're seeing. And, um, and I want to use that distinction because I think it's important that we not characterize fact-based media as traditional and have people think, Oh, that just means it's old fashioned. And I think that, you know, what I watched through the, uh, the three weeks of the blockade in Ottawa, the occupation in Ottawa was a lot of journalists in the fact-based media trying to do a good job and doing in many cases, an extremely good job of reporting exactly what was going on and exactly the amount of misinformation, exactly the amount of kind of frenzied harassment that they felt and, and doing it while becoming maybe more aware than they ever imagined that they would be of what it's like to observe firsthand the effects of disinformation. And I, you know, I don't know how many times I kind of went back to that the day after the inauguration of Donald Trump. Do you remember this when, uh, when the whole thing was about, was this the largest crowd ever? And they had uh, his press secretary showing kind of faked up pictures of how many people there were. And that really, that wasn't the start of Trump's uh, all out war to diminish the credibility of the mainstream media, the fact based media. But it was the beginning of the effort when he was in the White House and it continued ever since. And it has become uh, a huge, I would say, creeping issue, except that now it's kind of rolling. And I I definitely feel like we saw some great journalism from not just one or two people, but from dozens of people in the last several weeks. And I hope that they are supported by their organizations. And I hope that that somehow we find a business model that supports those organizations better in the future. Because uh, if we didn't have that, uh, just worry about how uh, how far uh, this tendency to consume argument as though it was fact and to let it become your version of reality uh, with the consequences that, that, you know, people believe that, uh, that what people think about our democracy and how it works in many cases uh, has no uh, relationship with how it actually works. And, and, you know, if we have two generations uh, of that effect, uh, where will we be at 15, 20 years from now? How will we be able to solve some of the important issues? Um, how much of it is going to turn into a fight about the other, um, where some people feel as though they've given up something because other people have gained more rights, um, which is, you know, which is part of what's going on here is that uh, the, uh, the farmers, the tenders, the nurturers of this, uh, this phenomena, they're not just pushing kind of false narratives because they believe those false narratives, they're pushing them because they kind of go, I know the hot buttons that will work. I know what will make somebody who uh, fits this demographic feel angry because somebody else is getting something that they're not or that they've given up in order to uh, to serve somebody else's purpose. And, uh, you know, that senator, the conservative senator who 
um, you know, blathered on apparently a bit drunk, although I'd hate to see him more than a bit drunk. If that was a bit drunk, he admitted that, right? He said he'd had. Yeah. Yeah. I think he said a bit drunk. drunk. I don't know if he, but I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt and, and saying, I wouldn't want to see him with one or two more drinks in him because that was pretty bad. The stuff that he was saying. Um, and, and what was bad about it was people are entitled to their views and their interpretations of things, obviously. And, and uh, I didn't agree with his, but there was a kind of a venomous aspect to it. And he was kind of right in the middle of this area where a lot of people had really experienced three weeks of feeling harassed, feeling threatened. And I saw Denise Batters, that conservative Senator also saying it was a peaceful uh, demonstration. And I think, you know, that there are people outside the Capitol who might hear that and go, yeah, that sounds right. And Justin Trudeau's an authoritarian. Um, but it, but it's not right. Um, that's not how it was. And the journalists reporting on that was a critically important part uh, of uh, of that reportage, in my view. I, I agree with you on that. I think there was there was a lot of really good journalism, not just in Ottawa, uh, in Vancouver, in Coots, Alberta, in Windsor, Ontario. You know, when they when the action started with the with the police, the OPP, etc., in Windsor. On that day, it was mostly local reporters uh, who were doing the coverage under pressure and being yelled at and being pushed around, and I thought they were they were really good. And, uh, you know, I wrote to uh, more than a few of them in, in, in these different locations uh, to tell them, uh, you know, how... A lot of hostility and a lot of, you know, a lot of it really... Um, uncivil and uh you know horrible stuff aimed at female journalists and that's a that's a giant problem that didn't start here and and won't end here and and we need to do more to figure out how to stop that but um the lashing out in the vitriol uh towards journalists uh, you know people like justin ling just doing a really good job of kind of getting underneath the hood of the information that we need to know um and, and so many others who've experienced it, I, I think it's a really important takeaway. And hopefully it kind of, it conditions the way that journalism works to avoid the kind of the most clickbaity instinct. And I don't know if you read John Iveson's uh, column yesterday where he was reflecting on a tweet that he had put out before and how he described the country as being divided into these two lunatic camps. And, uh, you know, I think he reflected subsequently on just how much pushback there was on his characterization of Canada. But I think his reflection was interesting because it kind of talked about the, when we use the language that feels most common in the social media atmosphere. Um, it kind of seems like it works in social media terms because a lot of people pay attention to it. Uh, but what's the lingering effect? And is it is it a constructive one? Bigger issue, uh, longer term issue, but definitely one that's at the heart of what we're experiencing now, I think. I do think that it's important to, uh, there. there is a distinction to make when we talk about the quality of um, the coverage that was out there over these last few weeks uh, and give praise where it's directed and, 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 and draw the line about um, with some of the agenda driven stuff on both sides of the border. Uh, that was attached to the coverage of this story because there were some pretty, 
you know some pretty brutal stuff on in that area too but in terms of the uh, of not just mainstream but some um you know less than mainstream uh, whatever the term is for that um you know good solid stuff that uh, the added to canadians understanding of what was really going on and some of the you know the the reporters are the ones who often get the people in front of the camera are the ones who often get the uh, credit as as they should but um, the ones who are often forgotten are the you know the the people who are holding the camera or the microphone or the producer who's who's trying to steer things uh, along in terms of safety um, and guess uh, did a great job under incredibly pressing uh, circumstances. Um, and let's remember, uh, Peter, I, I know you probably want to wrap up in a minute, but um, let's remember that ostensibly these people who are com- coming to Ottawa as part of this convoy and were expressing their outrage and their anger and their um and being threatening to journalists and to regular citizens, ostensibly they were here because of a, a specific rule that was applied to a small subset of truckers going across the Canada-U.S. border, the same rule of which existed um, by the U.S. government. And when we sort of step back and say that's what caused this, it's really clear that that's not what caused this. That's not what this uh, series of blockades was about. It wasn't really even that much about the uh, the fatigue and the frustration with the COVID pandemic and the measures that were taken. It's really about uh, what Bannon described in this long form interview that I watched again last night, which is that we no longer live in an age of persuasion, I think is how he put it. We live in an age of engagement where the people who succeed are the people who can motivate people to act on their fears, on their frustrations, on their anger. And I don't think that's really been the norm in Canada. Uh, I think we have been largely a country where persuasion um, matters a lot. Uh, Engagement obviously matters a lot for political parties too, but um and maybe in the conservative leadership race, then we'll see that uh, being a critical issue. Okay, I'll give you two minutes on the leadership race, and 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 here's the background to it. Uh, the last time the conservatives were in a leadership race, both Pierre Polyev and Jean Charest were talked about as they could run, they might run, and they'd be near the top of the uh, the results if they did run. As it turned out, Polyev decided against running. And Charest decided against running. This time around, Polyev is in the race, and there's increasing talk that Charest uh, could get into the race. Um, and, and as a result, on the Charest thing, especially some of the, um, let's say, <laughs> center-right, at least, uh, are are not uh, not happy with that situation and are speaking out against Charest and calling him a, you know, he's really a liberal. Um, he's been both. He was liberal leader and premier in Quebec, and he was conservative cabinet minister for Brian Mulroney. What's he going to do? You know Jean Charest. Do you know what he's going to do? Uh, and what do you make of the kind of action around him right now? Uh, I don't know what Two he's going to do. Less. I, he was also the leader of the progressive conservative party. Um, 
but uh, I, so I don't know what he's going to do. I, I, I think he's indicated pretty clearly that he's quite interested in it, uh, which I think surprised some people because he was basically given the kind of the Heisman uh, by uh, the conservative party. The last time he, he mooted his interest in it. I hope he gets in. I, I helped run his leadership campaign against Kim Campbell, which uh, for the fans of Arcana, uh, you know, he started out as a 5% candidate and finished very close to uh, the top. Uh, Ms. Campbell beat him out and then went on to have a bad outing in the election and end up with only two seats. And, and Jean Charest was left to kind of rebuild uh, the party as best he could in the subsequent years before going to Quebec. Um, I think that, uh, you know, what I'm seeing in a Charest candidacy is, first of all, there have been a number of uh, voices, including some important conservative voices from Quebec, saying that they want him to run. They hope he runs, uh, asking him to to seriously consider running, which obviously is part of a, a, a buildup that you only do if you're really getting ready to do it. Um, I gather that the former BC Premier Christy Clark has said that she would uh, support his candidacy. Um, and uh, people on behalf of Pierre Polyev, I guess Jenny Byrne is kind of using Twitter to attack uh, Sheree. The idea of Sheree is a conservative candidate, which says they must think that it's a, a real possibility. And now there's a story out that Stephen Harper will uh, enter the fray somehow to prevent Sheree from becoming conservative leader. Um, I haven't read a whole lot more about it than that. So I want to be careful not to overstate what he has or hasn't said about that. But, you know, in a way, this is the fight that the Conservative Party had before Stephen Harper, uh, you know, with Preston Manning uh, doing his thing to the Brian Mulroney party. And um, it's the fight that the Conservatives need to resolve once and for all. And um, if there are some conservatives who don't ultimately feel welcome in a modern conservative party that's run by Pierre Polyev or someone who kind of looks at the world more like he does, then that's probably opportunity for the liberals. Uh, but it'll be a fascinating race to watch. And I, all the more fascinating as somebody of Jean Charest's caliber, as somebody who understands public policy, experienced in government, and a great communicator in both languages. If he gets into that race, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to watch. Okay, we'll probably know more by Friday on that front. And Friday, of course, is when Chantal Hébert joins us from Montreal uh, for Good Talk. Thanks, Bruce. Good conversation, as always. Tomorrow's your turn, your opportunity uh, through your letters to get your say on some of these issues. So don't be shy. The Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. The Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Peter Mansbridge in Stratford for Bruce in Ottawa. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again in 24 hours. 